We pick it up this evening, by the way, in Mark 1, verse 35. <clears throat> you should be able to find that, I hope. I don't intend on going very far tonight, but then I normally don't either, anyways. But if you would, if you can find that, let's read. We're going to read verses, Mark, Mark 1, chapter 1, verses 35 to 39. It says this. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all of Galilee and casting out demons. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, I pray you would redeem now the next 45 minutes that we would be ready to hear from you and that you would speak what we need to hear now. I thank you, Lord, that you intend to speak and we intend to listen. We pray for those, Lord, who um, we don't know their whereabouts at the moment and some of which I just want to make sure, Lord, you know where they are and I just pray they're okay. And I just pray now that you would do a great work among us who are here. We recognize you are here. We recognize, Lord, that we are here for purpose. And I just pray you would feed us and encourage us and strengthen us and and, and help clarify some things, Lord, so that we could better understand who you are and your call in our lives. So I just pray that that would happen now. Lord, let us have so much fun in your word. Immerse me in your word, Lord. Come upon me and just use me. That's my prayer, that you would be seen. So, Lord, let this just be a sweet night. And may we just get it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What say tonight is that would any please don't just believe me, don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures uh, and let the Bible have the final say. Dan, what is that? Full of chili. All right. Well, pray for those around you, but it sure looks good. All right. We've been doing marriage counseling, my wife and I, for about 25, maybe 30 years. Uh, not in regards to us personally. We've been issuing it more than receiving it, you know. But every time you are, why you find yourself in the place where you are counseling others, of course. That's just more retinue for God to sort of stock up for those moments when you really need to hear something. And, and more than often, I mean, when we were talking about starting a new website for the river for down here and how many messages there may be. Can you imagine that's all this artillery that God has in those moments when he's like, okay, let's see, that's message number 649. Tony, you need to listen to this. And the only reason I say that is, is that you, you learn some things. But l- let me ask you, this actually shouldn't be a, a, a really difficult question. But if you were to ask the majority of couples who come in for counseling what the biggest problem is, it almost always seems to be the same one. Do you know what it is? I'm sorry, I was curious. What is it, Deb? Communication. What were you going to say? <laughs> okay, well, that seems... This is... This, I just want to remind you the door is still open. Uh, Communication tends to be the most common thing. We just don't communicate. And, of course, it gets funnier because uh, ultimately you're like, well, explain to me what that means. And they can't explain it. They can't communicate how they don't communicate. And you say, well, I already see the problem. And the only reason I say that is, is that if God were to want a relationship with you, and I fully and wholeheartedly believe that, well, then he's going to have to bear the brunt of the burden of communicating with you. 
And he's going to want to try to do it in a way that at least he sets some time. He's like, can you set some time aside? Because I'd really like to speak with you. And I'd like you to be able to pour forth your heart, to cast your burdens on me. I really, in other words, can we talk? Well, understand there's going to be situations like this where it is going to be more receiving. I get that. And please understand for me, I don't do this because I think it's going to be cool to be in front of people. That's never been my thing. Before I knew the Lord, I swore I'd never be in front of people again. And you can see where that's gone. This is my intent to serve you. And understand, all I'm trying to do is give you what God has given me. And when I take a look at a text like this, I realize this is those kind of texts you read quickly because it's in between two really cool stories. On one side of it, Jesus says, had a really busy day yesterday, if you remember. He gathered his first servant students. That's that four fishermen. He brought them to church, well, synagogue. And there he teaches revolutionary to the people who are listening because they see him speak with authority. He's not quoting anyone else. He's going, you've heard what it said, and now I say to you. He's quoting scripture, and he's using scripture as his basis for understanding, not, dare I say, Spurgeon or G. Campbell Morgan and people who were great and brilliant men. But what's interesting is there got to be this point where the scribes, the men who, by the way, spoke normally that they think don't have that authority, decided they were going to present themselves as intelligent. And the way that they were going to present themselves as intelligent, interestingly enough, was by doing the stupidest thing they could, which was departing for scripture and actually spending more time leaning on men. Now, it wasn't like, again, that the men, what they had to say was bad. It just removed the authority that from which you test all things. If you've never quoted a Spurgeon or G. Campbell Morgan or Billy Graham or Chuck Smith or whoever, hey, or me for that matter, good on you. But if the scripture is quick on your hands and quick in your mouth, you'll be able to smell a phony a mile away. And you're not going to be able to do that by going, well, Pastor Tony says. Because you, if, let me just say this. If you walk through Camden or even here in Greenwich and you see someone and you just think they might be possessed, don't quote me. Go straight to the source. And Jesus speaks in a way, understand before anything happens, he's already recruited his first students. Disciple, mathetikos, just means student. So he's got these students, they show up at the synagogue. And as they show up at the synagogue, he teaches and everyone's like, wow, we've never heard anything like this before. This is amazing. Because he's just going, you know, where are all the, like, where Shammai says and Hallel says and, well, and this Rebboni and, and this particular, and, and Sage. And, and the reason I say that is, is that Jesus is just like, he took the scripture and he lived it and people went, wow. It is amazing how simple that is how uncomplicated that is, and it's intended to be. The moment that walking with Jesus becomes complicated, there's much too much man involved and way too little Jesus. He's not intended it to be difficult, because if it were difficult, then only a certain amount of people could walk with him. And he's an all-equal opportunity walker, if you will. But then it goes crazier. So he's recruited these fishermen to cast their nets as low as they can, That's what they knew how to do. And to pull it in, that's what they knew to do. And then from there, he teaches, and they're amazed. And then a guy freaks out at church. He's possessed. So he has this showdown with a demon-possessed man. And now the students look, and they're learning. They're learning, this is what it looks like to teach with authority. That's one of the first things you learn. And I love this. The church that I was, quote-unquote, raised in was my brother's church. And for three years, I watched a man who didn't quote anyone else, not because that was his primary objective. He just loved the Bible too much to go somewhere else. And it's kind of like once you get married, it's like you stop flirting because you just don't need it. 
Hopefully you didn't need it before it. But I also watched him give an altar call every time he taught. He gave an opportunity for you to accept the gift of Jesus. And I went, man, I love that. That, it just so resonated with my heart. And this guy now is freaking out. Jesus casts the demon out where the word tells him to shut up because he doesn't want any PR from him. And he casts the demon out. And now the people are flabbergasted. This is, uh, this is church like we've never seen it. First of all, a guy just taught the word. And then after he taught the word, there was this power that demons just couldn't stand up to. And the people just went, wow. But the students who are learning are going, nobody's too far gone for this guy. It doesn't matter how messed up you are. As far as the spiritual world is concerned, there is nobody that can go toe-to-toe with this Jesus guy. And I remind you, these are disciples, students, who are fishermen, who are learning. So immediately, Jesus then heads to Peter Andrew's house. And the disciples intercede. They learn what it's like to tell Jesus of a problem. Hey, um, Peter's like, "Um, my mother-in-law is sick with a fever. And she is in the throes of this fever. She is in a really bad way. So Jesus comes to mom. He doesn't ask for her to be brought. He goes right to her. He takes her by the hand. He lifts her up. And she is well. And you can see her kind of saying, well, honey, you're going to need to be well because company's coming. And now the disciples have learned their next lesson. Not only is no one too far gone, no one is too far unwell. It doesn't matter what sickness a person has. I don't even have to know what it is. As long as I know that I could get him to Jesus, it looks like he could fix him. So the disciples, the penny drops. The spiritual world's no match. The, the sort of world of illness is no match. And they just go, if I could just get him to Jesus, he could fix them. That was what ministry looked like. Is that difficult for any one of us? It, what they, they didn't have to figure out any more than that. You didn't have to be an expert in someone's problems, be them spiritual or emotional or physical. You didn't have to know it as if somehow there's like, well, I'm sort of the cancer guy and this is the polio guy. It's like, look at, I know the guy who's the, who can handle all of those problems. And if I could just get you to Jesus, I know that he can take care of this. So what happens? It says they brought to him. Who's they? The fishermen. They throw their nets and they cast them out and they start bringing in people. And as they bring in people now, all these sick people show up at the door. Demon-possessed people show up at the door. I have a feeling that was the first time Peter's ever seen that at his house. And... And Jesus, we read in Luke, he touches every one of them and they're healed. Their house turns into a hospital. Everybody's touched and made well. And he goes way into the night with that. And that was yesterday. The recruiting, the whole service, the casting, the demon-possessed man. And they're going way into the wee hours to see everybody in the city of Capernaum healed. In a city, Kefer Nahum. Kefer means village. Nahum means comfort. And boy, is it right now. What would you do if that was your yesterday? Aren't you entitled to a day off? Wouldn't this be a good one? Let's be honest. Yesterday was kind of a wow kind of a day. But do you ever find in the three and a half years of Jesus' ministry a single day off with this guy? Is there ever a day where you read, and Jesus just took this day and they went out fishing, chilling, hanging out, watching a match, sitting in a pub. We don't read any of that. 
And we read these verses because the next thing that's going to happen, spoiler alert for next week, is that there's a leper, one of the best, one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible in regards to Jesus dealing with someone, a guy that has this question not about Jesus' um, ability but his willingness, one of the most coolest parts. And yet in all of, I don't want to give any more in the way. But so we read kind of past this because we're kind of like, hey, well, there was like, look at all that action, and this is kind of the bridge to the next action. But this is why there is action on both sides. And this is what we miss. What we read in the beginning of this, and you can just see Jesus now having this phenomenal day, gets up and he has to get his instructions from dad. He's like, I need to check with dad. What do we do today? And we read four things right from the beginning of this that prepare us for the rest of what he does. Four distinct things that set the setting for this prayer. It says, notice again in verse 35, Now, in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight. Think about this. Jesus had to get up before anyone else got up. Because if if one person was up, you could bet they're going to flag him down. He had to get up before anyone else could flag him down. In the whole city. But certainly in the house as well. He had to get away from people. The word there, for what it's worth, is the word anistemi. Arisen. And the idea of that was is that he popped up. And as he popped up a long time before the sun got up, by the way, this is the same guy who makes the sun get up. I want to remind you that. He's actually making the sun get up, but he's getting himself up before that. Now, to be honest, in California, that's a really difficult thing. Here, it's a little easier in the winter only because the sun doesn't get up until like noon, you know, in the winter. You know, and so it's like I've got to get up before this or I won't or I'll miss breakfast and lunch, you know. And so he gets up early, but it says then he, notice it says he went out and departed. And you think, well, those are two different things. Didn't he, wouldn't one be enough? But understand for him to go out means that, first of all, the first he went out, and the word therefore was etzerkamai, in the idea of it is literally to come out, to be on the outside, is that he left the house. So he had to get away from the comforts. But then he departed, and that word is aperkamai. Now, exerkamai, ek, out of, ap means out of, as one means being on the outside. Now, that sounds like splitting hairs, and it basically is. Basically, Jesus had to leave the house, and then he had to leave the city. Jesus had to get himself to a place that we read here that is a solitary place. Solitary, by the way, the word is eremos, and it means lonely, desolate, abandoned is the idea. Jesus had to get away from the people, he had to get away from the comforts and he had to get away from the distractions because that's the way he prayed. Now, let me ask, I've already had a week of having to go through this in my own life. How's your prayer life in regards to that? Because Jesus needed to do this and we're going to see why in the second half of our little few verses. But the first thing he had to do is imagine, and I want here's, can I just say this? There's a, a, an expression in America called good catch, bad throw. And it comes from the game of baseball, which I'm well aware of. We don't play here. The closest thing we have is rounders. But the idea of it in its simplest sense, and you can see that it's, it, it applies in cricket in a, as well in some ways, is that somebody kind of, you know, the ball's coming and they're trying to catch it and they do something spectacular to catch it. And everyone's like, wow, that was an amazing catch. But then the responsibility is to grab that thing then and throw it to some place to help finish the play. And they catch so well that they throw it in a ridiculous manner in the completely wrong place because they were so hot about the fact that they caught so well. 
And the reason I say that is sometimes some of the most amazing days can be some of the diving boards for some of the worst days spiritually because we're so busy harping on the good catch, we forget there's still a throw involved. But Jesus doesn't do that. And I'm learning if it's good enough for Jesus, it better be good enough for me. This is God in the flesh, the Son of God, incarnate. And if he needs to take time and pray, how much more do I? And Jesus had a rocking day yesterday. I mean, he took on the religious leaders, he took on the demonic forces, and then he took on every sickness he could get, he could get near. And he just conquered them all. So you can imagine, you could see Jesus going, okay, before we go any farther, what do we do today? Is there more of that? Is it more of it here? Wouldn't it have been easy just to settle down now? You've got a whole city healed. That means you could take a day off of healing someone you'd like to think. They're all well unless people start showing up. And it's like, and you could kind of get into the things that would be a little bit easier for him to do, or one would think. And I think, in my prayer life, do I have a place that's away from the people? That's away from my comforts? Because you know what happens if, it's, if, you're, if you're not away from the people, you know what's going to happen. Inevitably, the moment you get down to really get into the Lord and you want to communicate with them, you know what's going to happen. Someone's going someone's to get, hey, can, can, I, can I borrow you for a second? Comforts, because you know what happens if you, if you just sort of, I'm just going to pray in bed. You know what that is. That's another hour of sleep. You know what that is. You're going to get away from that, but also away from the distractions, which means I don't just put my phone on silent. I turn it off. Because I know that if I'm really going to try to get to the Lord and, and seek him and listen to him, there will always be distractions waiting for me somewhere. And Jesus isn't going to let that happen because to him, his relationship with the Father was way too important. And to be honest, can I say that his relationship with everybody else is way too important? Because if his Communication with the Father is thwarted. And even if it's impeded, he's not going to be able to serve everyone else the way he's supposed to. And dare I say, if that's going to happen with Jesus, how much more for us? What if we try to weak of this? We try to weak of going, you know, I don't like the idea there's nothing in your flesh that's going to applaud this. And there's nothing in your flesh that applauds prayer anyways, let's just be honest. There's nothing that your body goes, yay, let's just take an hour and really focus on God. You know, your body's not going to really be happy about that. But what if we took it a week and just said, we're going to try to add a half hour to our morning before everything else and get alone with the Lord. And we'll talk about four things that Paul says in First Timothy 2. And try to start with this. The phones are off. Away from our comforts, away from people. Now, I don't know how, you know... Hugo and Deb can do that. One's going to have to actually jump out the window or something. Because, you know, anyways. But try to find this place that's solitary. And it says, there he prayed. Now, <clears throat> there's a couple of things I need to put on this. And we'll kind of develop this. And then we'll get to our own application on it. But I'd like you to consider what the word prayer is in the, in the Greek as we see it here. The word is prosyukamai. Try that. Pros, you. No, not bad. Pros means towards, like prosthetic. means towards. You means good, like a eulogy, like euphonium, 
supposed to mean. That, actually, euphonium, actually, what it says is it sounds good. That's what it actually says. Um, a eulogy, logos, like logic or words, means you're giving a good word about someone. You means good. And then we have the word chumai. Chumai means will or intent or desire. So what you have is towards good desire, and that's the word that equals prayer. Yeah, actually it is. And the idea of it's simple. You're throwing yourself towards God's good will. That's the idea. There's a simple word we might use, and that word is surrender. When we read to pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, I think what Paul recognizes as he continues to grow in his own faith, and he writes that to the Thessalonians, is that the battle of our surrender is not something you can just sort of make up your, your mind at the beginning of the day and say that's good enough. There will always be a challenge for you. And I'm not saying that because I'm any different. There's always going to, let me just say that, but there's always going to be a challenge for me to actually constantly make the choice of whether I want to throw myself at God's will or actually try to claim my own. And this is why I'm to pray without ceasing. What Jesus did is he got up before anyone else and he got out of the house without making, without waking anyone. And then he got out of the city that has just been healed. That every ill person has had a touch from Christ. And he found some quiet place where nobody else was. And then he went, Dad, you have a good plan today. You have a good will today. You have things that would please you today. And that's what I want to do. For Jesus to be able to say in John, I always do the things that please the Father. Could you imagine being able to say that for 10 minutes? For the last 10 minutes, I've only done what pleases the Father. Man, I'd love to go. I, 10 minutes is a medal. Let's just start, you know. And then the only reason I say this, that's why I need to pray without ceasing, is that Jesus did this. God in the flesh did this. He said, you know, I still have a human body here, and this human body has its own desires. Sleep may be one of them, and so I'm not going to put myself in a place where sleep is an easy, char- is an easy target. So, I'm, God, Father, I need to talk with you because I know that if I don't, I'm going to be in trouble. In Luke 4, we read that Jesus went to a deserted place and pray. After Jesus performed miracles, we read in, in Mark 6:46 that he sent, uh, you know, feeding, for instance, feeding the 5,000. 5, he sent them away, and then he went to a mountain to pray. When he was going to pick the 12 that, was be, that would be his disciples. And have you ever thought about that? You want to pick your closest friends, do an all-nighter in prayer first? I, I would really be shocked if any of us could go, oh, yeah, of course, that's always what I do when I, before I pick a friend. Spend all night fasting and praying. But Jesus did. Isn't that weird to think God in the flesh did that and we wouldn't do that? And we're worse? Well, in Luke 6, 12, it says, you know, that he went up on a mountain, he continued all night in prayer, and then he came down and says, okay, you 12 are going to be the ones I'm picking to be closest here. When they wanted to come and take him by force and make him king, in John 6, he went to a mountain by himself to pray because people had ideas about what the way he should be. And how was to happen? And he was going to pray to make sure that he didn't fall victim of that. Right before he was arrested, we know that Jesus prayed, sweat like drops of blood. When Jesus was being baptized, when the Holy Spirit came upon him, he was praying, Luke tells us. And if this is God's mindset, how much more ours? 
to get to that place where it's quiet. No, no, look it. I recognize the city is a very busy place. I have no excuse because, to be honest, I actually live in a place. Well, I live in this beautiful place, and there are places that are that quiet where I can get away and go, all right, Lord, I need to hear you. Because understand, God really wants to talk with you. But he would really like to have both your ears, if that makes sense. And not just one while the other one's sort of shoved with an iPod or or a phone or whatever. And it's doing six other things in your head. He's like, you know, when something's important, you you single task. And the guy's like, I'd really love to talk. You know, it's interesting because when the disciples, the only thing they've ever asked Jesus to teach them in Luke 11.1, 1, they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Not even how to pray. Could you teach us to pray? Because there's something amazing about the idea that they watch and they want. That's what prayer should be like. How do I do that? What's that like? In Revelation 8, it's a really fun place to look. It tells us, that though there had been the four living creatures, creep, creepy, wacky, crazy-looking things, they probably blend in well in Camden, but in heaven, there's still, you know, John... And it's, it's interesting, because John actually looks, but he keeps looking at other things. I don't know, I'd look at them and go, oh, what? You know, and, and then the elders cry out, holy, 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 and then the innumerable mass of angels and people redeemed that are crying out, worthy, 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 and it just keeps growing, and it crescendos, and it gets louder and bigger and more profound, and in all of that, and then we read in chapter 8, verse 1, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. The only time I ever read silence in heaven is at this moment. I mean, there has been the holy, 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 worthy, 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 and the crying and the crying out and the rejoicing and the hallelujah, you are worthy to take the scroll and hallelujah, you've redeemed us. And it's just one gigantic praise party. And they're, they're getting the praise on. And then Jesus goes, shh. And it tells us, then it says that one of the angels took the bowl with incense and poured it before God's throne. That was the prayers of the saints. God silences all of heaven, even all the praise and all of the worship to hear his saints pray. And I wonder what it would be like if I were any of those creatures up there in heaven at that moment. I'd stop to listen too because he told me to be quiet. I better do something. And what would it be like if he just said, all right, here's Hugo's prayers today. On this day, this Wednesday, what would he hear? Here's Dan's prayer. Here's Tony's prayers. God, thanks for the food. Oh, God, that person's crazy. Would you just settle them down? Lord, just, you know, I mean, what would he hear? Would he hear anything that sounded like a really fun relationship? Or would it be like someone that would call you up when they need something? I'm thinking, this is how important it is to God? Why isn't it that important to me? No. If you note that, let me just give you one verse that I'd like you to take a look at for a quick moment. If you have your Bibles uh, or your phones and your iPads or whatever it is that you want to go look at it. You, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Go ahead and turn there, would you? And here's my challenge for you. And by the way, I would never challenge you to something I wouldn't myself take. <clears throat> 
Chapter 2, verse 1 says, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Did you get that? I'll say it again. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. And he'll develop it from there. But let me just say, in the simple sense, my challenge to you is a half hour of spitting time. Spit, because supplication, prayer, intercession, thanksgiving spells spit. I want to challenge you to a half hour of spitting every morning with me. Supplication. Diasis. The word means to make request. It's easy because supplication, we get the word supply from it. We're asking God for things. That's part of it. But we're asking God for things to fulfill his will that day. God, if you really want to go and see people saved, empower me to, to, to preach your gospel to them. God, if you really want to see, you know, this, put this person on my heart, provide the opportunity for me to share with them today. Provide, give me the right mindset for this moment and so forth. You're asking for the supplies for the day. That's appropriate, isn't it? It's the morning. You're going, God, I need, I need supplies today. I'm on a mission. I'm serving you. Then our second word, prayers. Same word, prasuke, that we've seen before. God, I need to know your will because I'm actually not trying to do my will here. I want to do yours. That's the idea. It's surrender. That's prayers. Third word, intercession. A different word than often used for intercession. Usually the word for intercession in the simplest sense means to pray over someone or request over someone because that's the idea of interceding. And when I'm interceding, I'm praying for someone is the idea. And yet the word that's used here is the word entuxis. That's an easy word, right? Entuxis literally means to interview. Interesting. Because the idea of this intercession is twofold. Part of it is that I'm interviewing God. Now, if I'm interviewing God, I want to be in his word and go, God, would you please speak to me? I want to know more about you. But I also want you to know more about me. I know you already know, but I'm just putting it on the table. But also, because I've interviewed others... I'm aware of these concerns. I'm concerned for Hugo and Deb. This is what I'm praying for them. I'm concerned for Marcy. I'm praying for this. In her heart, that's in two places at once. I know that. God help her. I'm praying for Dan in this. Give him the strength and the energy and the endurance he needs to be at a thousand things in a week and let him enjoy them all. Praying for Bruno in this. God, give him wisdom as he begins embarks on this great new adventure. Uh, and Lord, give him wisdom as he's doing the things for the website and as he's you know, doing the thousand other things and he, that he doesn't get overwhelmed by you know, Vodafone and all the other things that could possibly happen in a moment like that. And I'm praying those things. And the only reason I'm praying those things is because, of, in essence, an interview, I've sat with you. And because as I've sat with you, these are the things I've ascertained from that time with you. You know? God give Agnes patience. She's going to be with Bruno for a while. So, you know, you get the idea. And it's like, and I'm praying these things. And so the idea of, notice, how long do you think that would take if you actually, now look at, the difference is you're away. You're away from the comforts and you're away from the people and you're away from the distraction. It is amazing how at that moment, when you have your wit about you, how many more people come to mind when you start, start to pray? God, I want to know you better but I also want you to know I'm lifting up these requests, this person and that person and this person. And then the last of them, giving of thanks, Eucharista. By the way, this is the same word that's used to this day for thank you among the Greek people. They just evolved to the term ifredisto, but it's the same word. God, I want to thank you. I want to thank you on this new morning for that amazing sunrise 
and for acai bowls and for, I mean, why in the world couldn't we thank them for silly little things if we were really thankful for them? Thank you for the study last night and the way that I could see people smiling and getting it. Thank you for the fact that you spoke to my heart and in speaking to my heart, you're setting aside, you're causing me to set aside more time so that we could spend time together so that if we were to go to a counselor, you wouldn't go, we just don't communicate. And because Jesus was able to do this, to get alone and seek the Father in a quiet place without distraction, verses 36, 37, 38, and 39 didn't bury him. Verse 36 says, Simon and those who were with him searched for him. Why would they search for him? Well, my answer is, duh. They've given up everything to follow Jesus. They woke up and he was gone. Would that freak you out? Freak me out. The word for searched here is the word katadioko, and it literally means to hunt down. So it's like I kind of have this image, you know, kind of from like those movies where they've got the dogs in the front and the sheriffs, and they're all kind of chewing their chew. No, no, we're going to go find him. He's anywhere, we're going to find him. And it's like, and you can imagine, because somehow I kind of picture Simon kind of like one of the, I could put Simon in overalls, and it actually makes sense to me. You know, I could see him go, oh, yeah, we're going to find I don't know where are you, but we'll find him. You know, and they're all looking, and somewhere in this, Jesus is praying, and he's alone, and it's quiet, and somewhere in any kind of Here's the noise of the posse in the distance and the dogs barking. And the, I don't know, maybe we're going to look over here. And somewhere in all of this, they've had to leave. Now, I mind you, they've had not only had to leave the house, they've had, to, they've had to go throughout the city. And they're looking out throughout the city. I don't know. Well, why isn't he here? This is the best bagel place. Wouldn't he go here? You know, oh, that, look at Starbucks. Is he really going to go to Starbucks? You know, it's like, and they're kind of, oh, and then they leave the city. And now they're like, now the opportunity is endless. Where in the world do you think he is? And I remind you, these are students. These are students who are trying to figure things out and they are going to learn from this. And they look and they finally show up and they find them. Now at that point, you can imagine, do, do you have that moment where you're like, oh, finally, I thought there's like, man, I gave up everything and then you were just going to be gone. And you know those moments where you find them and then it just comes out of your mouth the wrong way? Now I've had a couple moments where you were kept on a train or something, and my wife would hear this information about, you know, someone doing something mad, and she would get all freaked out about it, of course, because I wasn't home yet, and she couldn't contact me because, of course, my phone was underground, and you can't call anyone there. And so finally, you know, it's like when I finally get to the house of those moments, you know, she's like, I want you to know. You know, and it's like, you know, it doesn't feel like I love you and I miss you at a moment like that because there's all this emotion that kind of comes out in these sort of chunky, jagged, ice-written things. You know, they're like, you know, you could have, I don't know. And you know, what's funny is, is that, you know, praise God, being married long as, as long as we have, you kind of get there when you're like, oh, I know she's saying she loves me in a way that makes no sense. But it makes perfect sense to her. For me, it's like she's throwing things at me. You know? And there's something about that at that moment. And the reason I say that is imagine Jesus has had this beautiful moment and it's like, you know, the heavens have silenced and there's this moment and you can see the father going, hey, everyone, listen to my son pray. Check this out. And I mind you, it isn't about praying in King James. God's not looking for a performance. He's looking for a conversation. And he's just looking for someone who's actually willing to put their heart on the table and say, can we actually, this is yours now. This is yours. Feel it beat. That, that, do something with that heartbeat. And, and God's looking at that. And all of a sudden, there's this beautiful moment. And all of a sudden, he's like, everybody's been looking for you. You have those moments. 
And you're like, I just knew it. I just knew when I was done with praying, that's what was going to happen. That's why I don't pray. Because if I, if I prayed, this was what's going to happen. It's going to happen either way. But the two words that chances are going to stick out is the word everyone and the word you. And here's the problem. If you don't get that time, if we don't get that time, the blessings of the day become burdens. The get-tos become have-tos. Because now everyone's looking. Do you realize how many things you're going to Do you know who's expecting you today? Do you know where you're expected to be? Do you know what you're expected to do today? And at that moment, you just might go and follow what anyone expects of you. Like Peter, because he means well. Let's just be honest. He means well. Jesus doesn't give him a hug. He just says to them, not just Peter, because he's carrying a crew with him. Let's go. To the next towns. Then I may preach there also. Because for this purpose I've come forth. That tells me what Jesus was doing in prayer. Father, it's a new day. And because it's a new day, I need to know. What's my purpose in this day? And how do you want to work out that purpose today? The Father says, Jesus, I want you to preach. And he doesn't just go, okay, cool, I'm on it. I mean, everyone's healed in the town. Don't we naturally fill in the blanks? Where, Dad? The next city and the next city. Should I stay? Should I go? And when? And how? And where to? And what should I do? Listen, it's one thing to be praying and it's another thing to be quiet and praying. And it's one thing to be praying and it's another thing to be current. In the book of Genesis, you're probably aware of the fact that God actually tells Abraham to do the most unthinkable thing with his son. Take him up on that mountain. And you're going to sacrifice him. Now, there's a whole story about the four basic gods that everyone served in the Sumerian culture belt and, and how the cradle of society and all of that and how the, the, you always sacrificed your firstborn to the god of pleasure and how Abraham's on this journey to discover that all of the things that people worship could be found in the living God and they're just they're, they're giving over to these terrible counterfeits. But understand, in that, God never was going to have him sacrifice his son, but he was going to get him close. And if Abraham wasn't listening, we'd have a dead Isaac. But because he was willing to listen, God was able to stop him when he needed to stop him. And God may give you directions and say, go east. And so you think, well, east, that's China. And God's like, I didn't say China. I just said east. East could be, by the way, for it could be Leighton. It could be, you know, Leighton Stone. It could be Stratford. It could be Greenwich. It's, you know, it's like, it's like we fill in those gaps. But God's like, you just do the first step. And I'll tell you the next one when you take that step. I just want you to be current with me. And so we constantly seek to be current and get quiet and current and quiet and current and quiet and current. The problem is, how do I get quiet and current in the middle of the day? Well, my suggestion is, at least this is what's worked for me to some degree, is I have noise-canceling headphones. It doesn't cancel all the noise, but it does a good job of some of it. And I put them on, and I don't play anything. I put them on, and then I pray. 
I'm like, can you cancel out as much of this? And I try to find those little spots. Do you know I was just I was just listening. I, I get those like tour things because I'm still new a newbie enough that I'm kind of like they're still way cool to me. And I was on the Clipper yesterday, and I realized that you can turn on this thing. And it said, so I'm only saying that because at least you know my source. It said that 40% of London is green. Did you know that? No, I'm not talking about they recycle. I'm talking about actually like grass and trees. 40% of this, and it's called one of the, it's called the forest, the most forest-filled city in all of Europe. I don't know if that's true or not. And I don't know actually who even said that other than the person that was the voice in my head from this this app. But if that's the case, then what's the possibility of finding some spot under a tree somewhere? Some spot where you are or near where you are. And Jesus got alone and he got quiet and he got current. And then he got alone and he got quiet and he got current. God had put into the heart of Moses to deliver Israel way before he wound up delivering Israel. And as a result of that, we have a dead Egyptian if you remember the story, that causes him to flee into the Midianite desert. But had he actually done more than just said, all right, well, that's what you've put on my heart. That's clear. But ask the when and how. That's kind of, those are kind of important questions. Flip to the other side of that, we have Acts 13. In Acts 13, we have a, a new church up in, uh, in Syria, Antioch, and they are praying. They're fasting and praying, and as they're fasting and praying, of the seven guys, that, or the five guys, that are really clearly kind of preaching and teaching and pro- prophesying, Two of them, the oldest, it seems the oldest and the youngest, the Holy Spirit says, hey, set apart those two guys for a ministry that I have for them. That's, by the way, Barnabas and Saul. And, and it says, it isn't like they go, okay, cool, go. What they do is it says, and as a result of that, they fasted and prayed some more. Because even though they got that instruction, they didn't get the when and how. And sometimes God puts something on your heart and you just kind of, if you're anything like me and I'm off the chain and running, and God's like, no, 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 there's so much more information I need to give you on how to do this right And I just want you listening to me. I want you quiet. I want you alone, quiet, and current. Alone, quiet, and current. Alone, quiet, and current. It's essential for the next appointment we're going to see with this leper that will show up in verse 40. So verse 39 to close this. He was preaching in their synagogues throughout all of Galilee and casting out demons. So wait a minute. Was this whole casting a demon out of a synagogue thing a common experience? How many synagogues did Jesus show up at that there were demon-possessed guys at? And I wonder, how many churches would Jesus show up and go, that guy needs something cast out of him? You'd be like, oh, I had no idea. He's the worship leader. You know what I mean? It's, you know, actually, I guess I kind of saw it. You know, and, and the reason I say that is, it, it, sorry, it, is that it's, it's amazing how when Jesus is really put into the mix, not religion and not just practice and not just tradition and this is what we do, but where Jesus really is the thing. How the same things, by the way, that you used to enjoy, you start enjoying again. And I mean that in the sense of the things that bless the Lord and that bless you. And they're less heavy now. I mean, hey, look at If the hard thing is getting someplace, how do we turn the journey into a good thing? We learn how to take those moments and get alone with the Lord in them. Jesus went and he preached. And he went through their synagogues. And he went casting out more demons. As we go to prayer, 
let me make clear to you, God doesn't want you praying because what he wants is a mindless robot. If he wanted a mindless robot, you wouldn't need to pray at all. Let's be honest. He'd rip your head out, throw a chip in or whatever, have Bruno design something or whatever, and then, you know, you just, yes, must obey, obey, and you'd be like, we'd be like something on a Jedi mind trip. But if that's what God wanted, but he doesn't want that. What he wants is a relationship, and that relationship comes with a will. The whole beauty of a relationship is that the other person has a will, and that will somehow is now aimed at pleasing you, and that makes a relationship infinitely cooler, doesn't it? And the reason I say that is, is that the whole reason for God wanting prayer is because he really just wants a deeper relationship with you, and he wants you to know him better, and he wants you to enjoy more time with him where it's really about listening and pouring out your heart and spitting supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving. Now, this all ends with the fact that God was so into wanting a relationship with you that he sent Jesus, and Jesus so into the relationship with you that he went and he chose to go. Because the one thing that separated you from God was your iniquity. That's what Isaiah says. Your iniquities have separated you between you and your God. And those iniquities need to be taken care of. Jesus took those iniquities upon himself, died on the cross to pay for them, was buried and rose again just like Scripture promised. And then all these people saw him to see that there's a whole new life. And that new life is one with a relationship with him. And like it's, you know, when it comes to the case when we talk about a wedding, where the idea is it's two deaths and one resurrection. Two single individuals die for one unit to now be united. And there is a mystery in that that only God can explain. But in every situation that I've been in, where we've, we've stood at the altar, one thing is very clear and evident is that people go willingly. Nobody's forced to it because somehow they are convinced that leaving that old life behind for this new one is actually worth it. They think they have something to offer. And in that same way, might I suggest to you that that's exactly something God put in our hearts about him. We, we leave behind the old self of us because we're convinced that the new life with him is so much more worth it. We trade up. And as much as what we've heard from Hugo already today, if you ask them, I guarantee you, they'll both agree that handing their old lives over for who they have in each other is so much better. And I'd gladly say the same. So have you said yes to this, Jesus? Because by the way, He's the one in pursuit. He's the one dropping the knee. And he's the one who loves you enough to give you the dignity of choice. Because love isn't love without it. And he says, look it. I've paid the price and all I'm asking is your permission now. That's the choice you need to make. And you'll always get it here every Wednesday. But if you have made that choice, then wouldn't it be terrible to say, I do, and then move to the other part of the universe and never communicate? How horrible would that be? It's like, well, now that you're mine, let's develop this relationship. Let's develop a communication. And that's the whole idea of prayer. I, mean, I just want to talk with you. And I want you to talk with me. Because I want you to know that you're talking with me. And you to know I'm listening. Will you pray with me? God, I want to thank you so much for this beautiful text. And I want to thank you for this segmental text, this juxtapositional text that prepares us for the most awesome story of this leper. But Lord, I recognize you've told us to seek first your, your kingdom and your righteousness and that you would add all other things, that all other things would be added that we need. 
we confess to you, it's somehow we kind of feel like we should get all the things we need and then somehow after that, then try to figure out if there's time left to seek your kingdom and your righteousness. And we get so backwards, we never get the stuff done. So Lord, I just pray today that that would change. And today, Lord, I pray in this room that you would help us all to develop a good, quiet time. Time in your word, listening to what you say there. Time pouring forth our heart in supplication and in prayer and in intercession and thanksgiving. Time communicating away from the noise, away from the distractions, and even away from the people we love so that we can come back loving them better. So that we hear your will for our life and not just theirs. Lord, let this week be a week where you drive that into our hearts and wake us up that half hour early. And if that means we have to go to bed a half hour early, well then make that happen or however, but Lord, you know what you want to do there. And I just pray here for my precious brothers and sisters and myself that you remind us this isn't about doing a duty. This is about developing a relationship. And while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if there be any who really do recognize that they have a choice and they've not really ever said yes to that gift, they've played the religious game, they've gone to church, they've done whatever, but they've never really just said yes to your offer. Tonight, if that's their heart, Lord, I just pray that you would just move them. And if that's you, I just want to pray this prayer. And I ask you to listen. And if you agree with it, I ask you to give a confident amen. What you're saying is, I agree. I make that choice today. And here it is. God, I make that choice tonight. You've paid my price at the cross. You've resurrected Jesus. And you offer me a brand new relationship where I gladly forfeit my old life for this new one with him. And Father in heaven, I just want to tell you I say yes. I say yes to his payment at the cross and his offer of lordship and love in my life. I say yes to that. And I ask you now to develop that relationship with me you created me to have. I give myself to you now in Jesus' name. If you agree, I ask you to say, Amen.